Hi, and welcome to the Sage Sapien podcast. This is Johnson Chong, and I'm here with Shelly Reef, who is a sound healer based in Iceland. And we are here in New York City, and we would like to talk today about the light and the dark aspects in spirituality, this opposition that tends to happen a lot when we think about going on a spiritual path. Uh- Hi, Johnson. Thanks so much for being here with me today. It's a wonderful crossing of the paths uh, across the world. So uh, I work primarily with the light. I've I've been on a journey that's taken me into the dark and into the light. Um, uh, I would say that I spent a long time shunning the dark and uh, kind of rejected all things having anything at all what to do to do with darkness whatsoever but but the more that i immersed myself in spirituality it became very clear that we can't do that we have to embrace the dark as well what are some examples of darkness that you tend to shun or in the past uh, tended to shun mm-hmm. um, i would say it started environmentally where I found that I couldn't be in the environment of, uh, of violence of any kind. I actually stopped seeing movies that had any violent content, um, at, including all horror movies. Um, that, that cut out like 90% of all Hollywood drama. <laughs> um, and that was probably a good 25, 30 years ago. I've walked out of a lot of movies in my lifetime. So it started there. Um, of course, that permeates into people as well, um, people who have a dark energy. But then it got so sensitive that I found I couldn't be around people who had a negative perspective of life because I would kind of somehow allow myself to be drawn down by these people. And at a certain point, I think it became very constrictive. Um, uh, I was really limiting myself um, by not being able to be available for a lot of things and so I learned at that time that the work was really within myself. That's really interesting because I think there is a fine line between light and dark and then being stuck in the extremes and that they actually are the same coin but different sides of the coin. I've for sure witnessed people who are quote-unquote on the light side sharing very similar qualities to people who are on the quote-unquote dark side. And at the end of the day, they're just labels. They're just polarized qualities of the opposite ends of the spectrum. For example, I once encountered a spiritual teacher who said that they did not befriend any people. Or they, they, I once encountered a spiritual teacher who said, I am not friends with anyone who eats meat, and I will never, ever talk to anyone who abuses animals. And it's a very strong value system and it almost came across as dogmatic because she was a staunch vegan. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, of course, you know, I was vegan and vegetarian uh, going between the phases at the time. And I found that to be very dogmatic. Mm-hmm. For some reason, there was something a little bit off in the presentation of that light. And of course, it's a great message, right? Let's conserve the environment. Let's do our part and not uh, exploit animals mm-hmm. and that that really was her message but then to come from it from the stance of I don't appreciate the darkness in others or I don't whatever or 
to come from a stance where it's about so what I didn't resonate about what she said or the way she said it was that she was creating an otherness between herself and the quote unquote dark people the mm -hmm. people who massacre and murder animals and and I started to play then with shamanic aspects of, of light and dark what does it mean to embrace the shadow and what does it mean to integrate the shadow and the light? Does it mean we repress feelings and repress emotions that we deem unworthy or, or bad? And I think that's really it. It's like our value systems when we were brought up. This is good and this is bad. Our parents conditioned that in us. Like we shouldn't do this and we shouldn't do that. And maybe some people actually need less harm movies because they've been conditioned around so much quote unquote bad. So they need a lot of light. And, but then I find the, the opposite also true. It's almost like some people who are conditioned in the picture-perfect Pleasantville um, fakeness sometimes of this is what it is to be in high society, these are good behaviors, and this is how you behave in front of your superiors, and there's like a whole code of how you behave. This is good. And those people tend to rebel, and they tend to want to go do something that kind of breaks the rules. And so I find that if we just find some sort of middle way where we don't label things as good or bad or light and dark and it is what it is, then then life will just be simpler. <laughs> is that right? Well, it's it's definitely simpler when we stop judging. Because that is that is what we are doing when when we say that person is bad because they eat meat or because, you know, they they have uh, you know, satanic tattoos all over their body. That's a bad person, but that's not necessarily true. That is a that is a chapter of a person's path through this lifetime, and that person can wake up and change their perspective at any given time, even though they may have something else permanently tattooed on their body. You know, but it doesn't mean that what's going on can be can be completely different. Um, and as a teacher. You know, I think when we really come full circle in being a teacher, we find that the most important people that we spend our time with is the people who are not aligned with the light. And we simply live as an example of what is different without pushing a perspective on other people. And part of that is being happy and, you know, joyous and healthy inside of our choices to align with, with the light and um, allowing ourselves to be around everyone else who who needs it. That's really part of the work. Uh, have you found certain spaces or have you found certain places in the world where you've lived? For example, I know you've lived in Bali and Iceland. Have you found your environment affecting how you react or how you integrate light and dark or does it does it bring a certain quality out more than others in, in where you've lived before in the past? Absolutely, absolutely. I, you know, I, I believe it's why I've lived so many different places in the world. Because being, you know, I work as an empath. I, I've spent my whole life opening myself up to be hypersensitive to people and environment. And uh, Bali, quote unquote, paradise was incredibly difficult for me because of the amount of animal sacrifice that happens there. There's, uh, and also the Balinese Hinduism, they, they make offerings equally to the dark 
and the light. And so the dark spirit there is very active, as is the the light spirit. And uh, uh, so it, it was challenging for me in many ways. And when I left Bali and uh, came to Iceland, I found it to be much, much, much lighter. Um, and here comes like the conversation of, uh, of like the shamanistic conversation. Um, uh, my roots lay with the Cherokee. I have Cherokee ancestry, and I spend a lot of time uh, with my with my ancestors and my family, my Cherokee family. Um, and I find it's very interesting that they practice less traditional shamanism than do other cultures in the world who have embraced shamanism. And these culture inside of shamanism, there's a lot of use of animal parts. And being a vegan myself. That's very, it's very difficult for me. Um, my perspective on that is that, is that the story that, well, uh, um, the animals told humanity that they can use their bodies to further the evolution of humanity. But that story comes from a time when there was balance between the animals and humanity. Um, there wasn't mass extinction happening unless it was simply by natural causes. There was no extinction extinction happening at the hands of man at that time. There also weren't, you know, like um, commercial farming that is is you know creating a lot of suffering for the animals as there is now. So my perspective in that is we should be evolving even as shamans on the earth. Shamanism should be evolving to the next stage, and, and we should be evolving into a lighter uh, perspective of of being on Earth, rather than going in. Uh, rather than we should observe where we are now in the evolution of humanity, and take responsibility for our effects on all living things on planet Earth. So the issue that is coming up that I'm feeling right now is a balance between tradition and innovation. Mm -hmm. How much do we stick to tradition and how much do we then take what was passed down to us, rituals and ceremonies from our ancestors mm -hmm. and evolve them is really what I'm hearing. Because in my culture, in Chinese culture, it's very similar. There has been for 17 generations where my family tree tracks down to the southeastern part of China where we do animal, we, we practice animal sacrifice in the honoring of the dead. There is a festival called the tomb, there is a festival called the tomb sweeping festival where we are to move up and down through the different hills and valleys and locate where our dead are buried. There's a tomb, we clear the tomb, we create a ceremony around the tomb, and it involves a dead pig that's been skewered and barbecued, and there's other offerings as well. And when the first time I did that, I was 24, I went back to China for the first time with my mother to see the home village where she grew up. And they said, you have to carry this pig up and down the mountain. At that point in time, I was very staunch about, if I didn't kill it, I'm not going to do it. And of course, everyone was angry with me. The, the men on my father's side of the family, I mean, the men on my mother's side of the family thought that I was shunning my responsibility for the ancestors and my duty as a son and my duty as a male, I had to carry the dead pig and pay respects to the dead. 
they thought I was turning my back on the ancestors. And I think a lot of value systems that need to be reinvestigated and to be recalibrated really center around what is what is right for me right now. And I think when we look at traditions, world traditions, any tradition, Chinese, Cherokee, whatever, we need to we need to tweak it. We cannot take something and just do it as it is because we're not in the same time. We're constantly evolving. Mm-hmm. So I agree with what you're saying in the sense that everything needs to evolve. Yes. And and it doesn't necessarily mean that killing is wrong. Maybe we can return to a time where animal exploitation is gone and there's this sacred communion between human spirit and animal spirit and we have a dialogue with with the animal and then there's a blessing and then there is a there is a permission that is granted. And this is what happens when when animals are sacrificed in the Native American tradition. Mm-hmm. Traditionally, you know, there there was a communication, there was a dialogue between, hey, I need to take your life now because there's no food and will you offer your life to me? And a lot of people think that's ridiculous in this day and age. Like, why are you talking to the animal? The animal can't hear you. But that's the time that we're in where people don't believe that you can communicate with animals anymore. And that seems to be the the perspective that everyone has adopted and that's become the norm. But that wasn't the norm at one time. So what I what I hear you saying then is that we've actually, instead of evolving, we've actually gone backwards where we used to communicate with the animals and now we've stopped communicating really for our own convenience. <laughs> and very often our you know our own addictions to, oh, this is yummy. <laughs> yeah. I believe that compassion is one of the most high-frequency perspectives, inner perspectives, that a person can choose to practice in this lifetime. I believe that compassion is evolution because we're not alone on this planet. There are the trees and the water and the the animals that we share this compassion, this this earth with. Um, And, you know, on that aspect, to think that we're the only planet in the whole universe that sustains life is quite bodacious. You know, so I really believe that compassion and responsibility at every given moment. Inside of that, I also want to say that you know, looking back upon tradition and how much do we believe in tradition, um, who's to say that the guy that declared that that was the truth way back, you know, hundreds or thousands of years ago was correct? Who's to say he wasn't crazy? You know, he could have been, it's very obvious that, you know, people who have even certain personality disorders can be incredibly swayed and convincing in their conviction to things. And sometimes I look at old traditions and how twisted and odd they are, and religions and, and ancient beliefs, and I sometimes truly wonder if that person didn't have an emotional or personality disorder that was very um, uh, manic in its presentation and and, and, uh, brainwashed other people to go along with them and somehow that turned into the traditions of today. I really believe that we should make every single choice of the moment in our hearts. Is this right? Is it wrong? Does this choice right now cause the suffering of any other living thing on earth. And if it does, then there's a conversation to be had because uh, there is a a balance in all things. 
there is a balance. And if we go about not asking these important questions because we don't want to step on people's toes and we don't want to push any people's buttons, mm -hmm. then we actually start to repeat a vicious cycle of karma and we come back again, reincarnate and suffer the same cycle again. And a couple of months ago, I had a very strong experience with a past life recall where I was in the inner guidance process with Amara, who's the creator of the inner guidance process in Thailand. And I was going through a reliving of me as a little girl through different timelines. So I was this little girl that was being offered up by my mother to the men of our tribes because the traditions at that time, I, would, I saw myself as a little girl in an African tribe and also in a Nordic tribe in somewhere in Scandinavia somewhere. The time, the place, the details, all that's not very specific. The point is it was a very real visceral experience that I was feeling in my body. I was offered up as a sacrifice for female mutilation, for, for you know, mutilation of the genitalia. And that was, at that point in time, believed to it was believed that it was necessary as a rite of passage for young women. And because I had felt all of this betrayal for the women in my tribes who had offered me up in this horrific way, I carry this, this resentment and this, this fear of women throughout my lifetime to the point that I am gay in this lifetime. Yeah. And there was a huge clicking moment where I realized, oh my goodness, I fear women, or I prefer to be in the lesser of two evils, you know, even though the men did mutilate me in that past life scenario. I preferred to be in that situation than to be with the mothers of my tribes because they offered me up. How, how could you, as my mother, offer me up to be mutilated in such a way? And I had to really let go of that, that pain and that story around what that tradition was. And that was a personal transmutation I did on my part. Collectively, though, what we need to do as a society is to question these old traditions. And you see, you still see things like this happening around the world today. Mm -hmm. And so this is an example of light and dark. Perhaps at one point in time, there was a reason as to why there was an offering. Mm -hmm. The Mayans did it. Ancient mm -hmm. Egyptians, like everyone at some point in history had some sort of human sacrifice mm -hmm. because they believed it was very necessary. Maybe at that time, we will never know, it was really important to do that. But if we question that right now in this time, in this place that we're in, why, why are we still practicing some of these old traditions? Does it serve a purpose and what is the purpose? If we can't answer what the purpose is, then should we be doing it? You know, my, my very first reaction to that is people aren't practicing these things for the right reasons. They're practicing these, A, to belong, to have a society. Um, and another big reason that I see is power. People want power. The people who I have encountered in my life who are really wielding the darkness, you know, um, uh, I, I used to be involved in the music industry and you know and every now and then you know I'd go to the, that you know, death rock rock and roll side and I'd find myself in this environment with these people and and they're really living this and of course you know the energy emanates from them and they're it's frightening and so it intimidates other people and gives them power 
um, uh, so uh, I believe I really believe that people are choosing it, you know, for social reasons and and for power. To that, I want to say this, you know, the, the the more that I work in the realm of the spiritual, the more that I truly see and believe that in the universe there is one energy, and that energy is what we gave the name of love. This energy of love. So there's this energy of light, and anything else that exists underneath that, any darkness, is a derivative of that love. And so any any person, any thing that comes into your life that is anything other than life, than than light um, or love, is it's like love out of tune, and it just has to be brought back into balance and harmony. Would you say that? Would you say that darkness is? Would you say that darkness is an aspect of love made? into existence so that we can recognize where love really comes from. Absolutely. Thank you. That was very that was very well said. The the darkness, you know, our experience in life can be very dark. The way that I've come to look at it is when we were in soul form, we were perfect. We had everything we needed. When we're in soul form, we want for nothing. Yet some for some reason our soul chooses to come here on life to incarnate into this body in this clunky little awkward body on this really challenging environment and and you know tough fight it out muscle through another lifetime and the only reason that I can see a soul would choose to do that would be to progress the soul not to progress the personality of you or me or anyone else on this planet that you know that which we think is right but to actually progress at the soul at the soul level and so from that perspective anything at all that happens during this lifetime is 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 precious is divine is perfect is is of the light it's we experience things that may take us dark deep into the shadows and maybe even for an entire lifetime yet it's all there for the purpose of progressing the soul and I want to say, to piggyback onto what you're, and I want to piggyback onto what you're saying about some people maybe spending this lifetime or many lifetimes in really dark places, because that might be what the soul chose. It chose to experience the darkness so that eventually there's enough story of darkness that the soul goes, "Oh, I'm fed up. I want to evolve. I want to realize that this is not actually the truth. This is not the reality. I am." I am of the light. I am of love. And I think there's a confusion between light and love sometimes because I, I see light and dark as dualistic. They're opposite of each other. But love encompasses them both. It's the yin and the yang. Yes. Like we need light and dark. We need the darkness to recognize there's love. And when there's that recognition, then we come full circle into what love is. It's this vast energy that is inclusive of the great experiences, the pleasurable experiences in love, and also those really frustrating, angry, rageful experiences. Yeah. And for example, when I was an actor in theater school, many actors were encouraged to go into these dark places to play these these characters who were going through a lot of suffering because that's that's where where most characters are written for. That's what's most interesting. People want to see people 
experiencing hard moments and how they transition out of it. And if we remember that, if, if that's what we pay money to the theater to go see, that's what's happening in our own lives. We go through these dark moments so that we can realize how we get out of them. And then we go through these up waves and down waves of light and dark, light and dark. And if we can kind of zoom out a little bit and become the conscious witness of like, oh, that's just, that's me in physical form, my soul in physical form moving through these experiences up and down, up and down, then actually we don't become so attached to labels of light and dark. And that's the spiritual process. That's the spiritual journey. It's like, oh, we're both. We're light and dark. And I'm going to have a lot of money for five years and then someone's going to come and challenge me and I'm going to have a, a big issue with money and then I'm going to have a lot of money and then I'm not going to, whatever. That's very simplistic, right? Yeah. But that that's an example. And it, we just have to enjoy both experiences and, and really appreciate the lessons that we learn from our hard, difficult moments in life. Mm -hmm. and, and if we don't, then, then we just become bitter and miserable. <laughs> you know, I'm a firm believer that it really truly is possible to anchor into gratitude um, from the depths of any experience and any challenge in life, any amount of, of pain or suffering that a conscious being can suffer in this life. From that place, we can also anchor into gratitude and it's that gratitude that becomes the pathway back to love. <laughs> I think that's a great way to close this. <laughs> so I would say our message today is to be gracious for everything. The good, the bad, the ugly. Beautiful, yes. I think that's really good advice. Yeah. And I, if anything, if, if that is the only thing you take away from this conversation about light and dark, I think it's a very difficult conversation for some people because some people have had so much darkness in their lives that they want to really look for the positive the light and they really want to shun the dark and that that's a fine place to be but if we can become grateful for the darkness in us then it will just happen naturally exactly once we shift into gratitude it's a it's almost like a quantum shift into love it's beautiful thank you so much for being here Shelley. thank you johnson thank you <laughs> it's been amazing to cross paths with you uh, um, on both sides of the planet thank you so much Shelly for being here and thank you for listening to the Sage Sapien podcast this is Johnson signing out see you next time